All right, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Starting in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and you, when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, that it's truth, infallible, inerrant, inspired, revealed by you. We thank you for it, Lord. We thank you for life. We thank you for the O'Neills uh, having their twin babies and everything going smoothly there. Let them grow up to, to know you, Lord, and serve you. And Father, we pray for our kids heading back to uh, catechism class. Uh, let them learn about your word, not only the different stories of how you've acted in time, Lord, but to also learn about you and how amazing you are. May we do the same today, Lord, as your word is preached. Uh, bless us as we continue on. We ask with the authority you give us in Jesus. Amen. All right, we are in a battle for the souls of this nation. You all agree? And so we're called to be the ambassadors, to be used by the Lord to reach these souls in this nation and further. Uh, but here's the thing. The enemy wants to defeat you. He wants to discourage you. He wants you to give up. But we are in a battle. And I want to encourage us with a few things today regarding this battle that we're in for the souls of the nation. One, uh, start in the home with this battle. Start in the home. And win the battle in the home. And sometimes there's a lot of battles. It is a battle, it's challenging, it's hard, but there are souls to be saved in your very household. And they need to be trained, they need to be discipled, they need to be nurtured, they need to be shepherded. They need to be corrected, chastised, disciplined, but it's worth it. It's worth it. And when does this training occur? Well, here we see in Deuteronomy 6 when it's supposed to occur. Look at verse 7. First note, it says, you shall teach them diligently. All these words, verse 6, that I command you today. You shall teach them, verse 7, diligently to your ch children. So you're not just teaching them. There's uh, in thought put into it. There's intent behind it. You're giving effort to it. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And then notice, you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. When does that occur? All the time, right? I have in my margins here of my Bible... It says family worship is not enough. Now, family worship is very necessary, and you should be doing it regularly uh, as a family, whether you're a family of two or one or more, you should have family worship, but it is not enough. Here we're seeing, when are we supposed to do that? 
all the time. All the time are opportunities for instruction. One of the times that I try to take advantage of the most is when we're driving around to different events. Uh, for us, it's usually um, sports. So we're in the midst of basketball season, so I try to take that opportunity. Uh, we just finished up cross country with my youngest son. I mean, you're driving around, you have opportunities to talk. And, um, you know, sometimes kids aren't wanting to be the most talkative. So I usually give them the option of you can either have um, a monologue from me, <laughs> or we can have a dialogue. <laughs> and I, I put, you know, different things in place. The majority of the time, I do not let devices. If you're driving around with me, like, we're not having devices going on. We can have a, or we can sometimes drive in silence. If you need a little time to yourself, that's fine. But um, there's not going to be any, any distractions except for whatever I'm dealing with when I'm driving the vehicle. Why? Because I only get so much of my time with my kids, and uh, my oldest is 21. I don't get as much time with him anymore. It's just the way it is. He's a young, grown man. And so I had my opportunity, and I still am, but I had my opportunity to instruct him and spend a lot of time with him. And all his best, of course, he's playing college basketball, but um, he drives to his own games now, right? So all those basketball games we used to drive to, those are, those are done and over with. So, so seize the moment and the opportunities that you have. Whatever it is that you're going to, that's the, not just teaching them diligently, but that's the sitting down, that's the walking, it's the lying down, it's when you rise like that, as, as you're going, you're instructing. And it's not like we're just reading the Bible, we're just talking about different events that are going on, different things that, that, that the Bible addresses. I remember uh, when my oldest was pretty young, I think he was six or seven, and I was like, oh, we're going to talk about evolution today. And I was like, did you know, Logan, some people believe we came from monkeys. And he goes, monkeys? Just like that. Incredulous to believe that there's actually people out there that think we came from monkeys. So I was like, okay, that's going to be an easy one if he's already in, already in disbelief about that. But just using opportunities like that from when they are young to start training them in what the Word of God says. So the training happens all the time. Look at Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. All right, it's easy for us to say that. It's easy for us to say an amen to that, but it is hard to do. This role is primarily, as we see here, given to the fathers. That means it's not the school's job to give instruction and admonition to your children. It's not the youth group's job. It's not the church's job. Now, you might use a variety of tools to assist you in doing that. All sorts of tools. But at the end of the day, it's the father's, and by extension, the parent's responsibility. Even if you're missionaries on the foreign mission field, with children, your primary mission field is them. You're called to be parents first and foremost. 
You want to know who the worst evangelist ever was? Noah. I mean, how many hundreds of years did he have? How many people did he convince? Well, it doesn't look like anyone, but guess what? His kids and his family were on the ark. They made it. You need to make sure that your family is on the ark. And on the day of judgment, you'll stand before the Lord to give an account for how you raised your children. Children are a blessing. We want to win this battle in the home. Look at Psalm 127. Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Our society doesn't believe this today. Children are a heritage. The fruit of the womb is a reward. No, for many, the fruit of the womb is a curse in their, in their thinking. And some stop after... Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. No, notice, notice the whole purpose here and what this psalm is driving towards. It's the very end. Okay? It starts in verse 3 as it shifts from verse 2 to verse 3, talking about their heritage, talking about the fruit of the womb. So the picture is they're very small, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. But then it goes on, blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. And then... Notice where it drives to. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Well, how, how does that happen? I mean, how does that occur? Well, because you've trained them from when they're young to be ready for battle. You've trained them. So you can have all sorts of arrows, but you want to have ones that are sharp. You want to have ones that can shoot. You want to have ones that are prepared to go forth. So yes, blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them, but the same very verse that we just read and the same verse that has fills his quiver with them says he shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. And the idea is, is that they've been trained up to be the warriors that they are called to be. And we, we need some cultural warriors. Men and women who are willing to go into the culture and do battle because they are coming for your kids. So you have to be intentional. Think back to the word in Deuteronomy, diligently, diligently, diligently. So what will you do to train them? What will you do to prepare them? What will you do to protect them? 
You must, you must have a plan. You must have a plan. And prepare. And train. And challenge. And nurture. And grow. <clears throat> Our schools will not do that. They won't do it. Winsville, if you didn't hear, uh, recently, uh, behind closed doors, the school district passed a transgender policy, which is actually in violation of state law by having a closed door, closed meeting, that basically threw the doors open for um, students using whatever bathroom they wanted to. Thankfully, someone on that council was a whistleblower and said, this is not right. And so they blew the whistle and said, this is supposed to happen in the public, in the open. And so the attorney general of Missouri got involved and filed a lawsuit against the district of, of uh, Wentzville and said, if you don't reverse course, then we'll sue you. And so the school district and the school board reversed course. They had an open vote. And guess what? Oh, it's in the public? And you have to record your vote. And we're still somewhat conservative in St. Charles County. And so the vote went so that you have to use the, the bathroom that you are assigned at birth. Assigned, right? <clears throat> but one person stood up. I mean, it was just one person. But it was one person. And because of them standing up, the policy is what it is. Praise the Lord. But listen, school board after school board after school board, I mean, it doesn't even want parents notified about some of the most basic things. And they don't think parents should be notified. This is the worldview we're battling. They think they can do a better job than you. Prove them wrong. But regardless, that authority has been vested by the Word of God with parents. With parents. Not the school, not the government, with parents. So this is the worldview we're battling. I mean, it, think about it. We live in a world where your kid can't pretend to be an Indian, but a grown man can pretend to be a woman. It's true. Your kid dresses up as an Indian, he's probably going to get chewed out by a few households. But it's okay for a grown man to pretend to be a woman. So there's, there's an assault on, on the family, and there's an assault on marriage. You know, having many kids is bad, is what we hear. Having kids is bad. No, brothers and sisters, let me tell you, fatherhood is a blessing. Motherhood is a blessing. And if you have kids, your primary calling is to be a wife or husband, and then a mom or dad. That's your primary calling. Then you have a vocational calling, but that's your primary calling. And the family, they're trying to redefine the family. Well, how do they do that? In part, guess where? By redefining marriage. If you can redefine marriage, you can start to redefine the family. And that, it's an attack on the family. Exodus 20, 13, you don't have to turn there, but it's, it's, uh, it's the, the section of the Ten Commandments. It's the Sixth Commandment, Exodus 20, 13. What's the sixth commandment? Do not murder. So the sixth commandment, it forbids murder, the willful killing of an innocent human being, an individual made in the image of God. Does abortion do this? Yes, it does. 
And think about it for a moment. Like abortion is the reverse, the reverse image of the gospel. It's the very opposite. Because instead of saying, as Jesus said, I'll die for you, the abortion-minded person says, you'll die for me. And even if you want to take it a little bit further, even in communion, what, what, is, what does Jesus say as he's doing the Last Supper? This is my body given for you. And what does the abortion-minded person say? This is my body, I'll do what I want. Very antithetical to the very gospel that saves us. Why, why is this hard for people? Why is this challenging? Well, the answer is seen in Romans chapter 1, if you turn there. As you're in Romans, um, keep there, but think for a moment in Genesis, like God creates everything in how many days? Six. So he makes everything in, in six days. And, and what is the pinnacle of his creation? Right? Man and woman. The pinnacle of creation. But, but what do we do? We, we take that pinnacle of creation and we place ourselves higher than even God himself. And, and that's what Romans, you know, Romans 1, if, if you just only had like a few chapters in the Bible, Romans 1 would be amazing because it answers a lot of questions about a lot of things. But we're just going to look at a, a, a few of them. We've made ourselves the pinnacle of creation. Look what it says, uh, let's start in verse 21, Romans 1. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. What's verse 23 talking about? I mean, idolatry, right? Verse 24, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, and then why, you, the question is, well, verse 25 answers it. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So they, they, they put themselves above the, the creator. And you're like, well, is that really true? Yeah, because they're worshipping the creature. If you, that which you worship, you're saying is, is at the pinnacle, is at the top. So what did they do? They worshipped the creation. You worship the creation instead of the creator. I mean, and just a side note, like when you look at porn, you're worshipping the creature rather than the creator. And listen, your, your Heavenly Father is way more amazing and glorious than any screen-filled image. But what we see here if we keep reading, verse 26, For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions, 
for the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving themselves the due penalty for their error. Where does it lead? It leads to sexual deviancy. And sexual deviancy, it's a rejection of God. He has the universe. He's created it. He's ordered it rightly. And what happens? Oh, you disagree with the order of it. And this is where you end up. In rejecting his order, you reject him. So the groundwork has been placed. And sadly, the trajectory that we're on, the trajectory that we're on, if we continue on that trajectory, then you and I will see pedophilia legalized in our lifetime. It's true. One author, I believe they're an unbeliever, said the claim that the morality of pedophilia is an openly debated topic within queer theory is often dismissed as right-wing scaremongering. But the passage above shows that it is indeed, he, he just had referenced some stuff, is a matter of contestation among queer theorists. So basically, the, the queer theorists are arguing, now, hey, we need to have this conversation, we need to have this debate. Sociologist Sarah Good studies pedophilia, whatever that means. <clears throat> Based on some of her research, she concludes that there is no clear consensus among academics on the harmfulness of adult sexual contact with children. That's our academics. That's the universities. The secular universities. That's what's being debated. And now they're trying to come up with different terms instead of pedophile. It's, now it's minor attracted person. If you haven't heard that term, it's out there. Okay? That's, that, this is the culture that you're raising your kids in. Now, hey, I totally get just being like, can I just like live my Christian life and not have to deal with any of this stuff? I, I, am, I am sympathetic to that. But, but we're called to be salt and light. So, so we can definitely, you know, do the ostrich thing and, and, and bury our head in the sand, but it, it doesn't mean that the stuff isn't still going on. It doesn't mean that, that the tidal wave is cresting and coming upon us. So we need to be informed in part to protect our kids, to train our kids, to shepherd our kids, to show them the truth about these things. That means we need to make sure that we're up to date and knowing what's going on out there. So we have to have training ourselves before we train others. All this goes back to the very, uh, one of the very first verses we read in Romans, claiming to be wise, verse 22. They became fools. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Don't be a fool. Let God's word shape and mold your worldview. So we want to win the battle in the home. We also want to win the battle in the culture. And part of the way we do that is ministering and helping those needing help in the culture. There's one slide I'm going to show today. So you can put that up there. Side-by-side pick of two women. I'll give you a moment to read that caption if you can read it. Can you all read it? Uh, on the left, it says, I am a progressive, pro-choice woman running for Congress 
my run is possible because of the abortion I had at 18. On the right, it says, they told me I couldn't be a successful teen mom, so I'm proving them wrong. She's holding her baby. So don't stay on the sidelines. Um, when situations where the one on the right happens, uh, we need to support these women. We need to stand with these women. We need to assist these women, and this church has. We've helped ladies that have uh, ended up pregnant out of wedlock. We've helped them, supported them, come alongside them, encouraged them, and when and where necessary, we've even corrected them, challenged them, admonished them, and their partner. But here's the thing. The same, we want, we want to help, encourage, support young people in our midst who are, who are following God's commands. We want to support them as well. So when, when we have young people in our midst and they're following God's commands and seeking to please Him and, are, and they're getting married instead of sleeping around, like, that's a good thing to be commended. And, you know, they could, be, they could be shacking up. And sadly, a lot of the churches out there uh, wouldn't do anything. And you're like, how do I know? Because I, I talked with, with some of those pastors. And a couple years ago, I remember talking with the pastor uh, at a, a, a breakfast meeting. And he was flummoxed what to do with a young unmarried couple in his church living together. And I was like, well, you could address it. <laughs> <laughs> And he's like, my congregation would freak out if I did that. That was his response. Well, I'm blessed that I'm a part of a congregation that would freak out if I didn't deal with it. For real. But we need to make sure that we support the young couples in our church as they're getting married, when they're actually obeying the word and, and following through with it. How hard is marriage? If you've been married for more than five minutes... <laughs> you know it can be very, 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 very hard. So we want to help, support, assist, encourage, come alongside the newlyweds. Their challenges aren't any easier than the ones that you had. In fact, they're probably harder. Okay, as one person said, you know, when, when marriage is good, it's great. And when it's bad, it's horrible. Well, Everyone is going to go through some, some, some low times in their marriage. Let's make sure that we're there to encourage those in our midst to continue walking faithfully, that God is enough, that he will be with them. And not only that, like, we ought to be, like, the loudest and most joyous of people like, when a couple gets married. You know, we've had, we've had a handful of marriages the last few years. Like, those, those are times to celebrate. It's, almost, it's sad, but it's becoming cult, countercultural, you know, to not live together to get, to get married before doing that, and to <clears throat> get married relatively young. They're following what the Word says. It's not good for man to be alone. Amen? Husbands, that's, that was really your chance, okay? I'm trying to help you out here. <laughs> so we celebrate. The same is true for babies being born. Like, we ought to be the most joyous of people celebrating greatly when a couple has a kid. Uh, Mike O'Neill texted Justice and me yesterday morning a picture of, of Medell with, with the new baby twins, you know, and I mean, I was just like smiling ear to ear. I mean, it was, it's a beautiful thing. 
you know, twins. And think about it. You know, some of you have been here for a long time. You've even been here since my oldest kid was an infant. And now he's a young man. Like, how cool is that? And many of you have poured into him and encouraged him and supported him. We need to do that for our young people. We need to do that for our young people in our midst. Listen, you'll turn around, and before you know it, uh, those O'Neill babies, they'll be graduating from high school. So you have 18 years to be the church to them. To encourage, support, love, admonish, build up, correct, help, train. Same thing for Mike and Medell. Encourage, support, love, admonish, build up, correct, help, train. All these things. Whose responsibility is it to raise those kids? It's the O'Neills, right? But that doesn't mean the church doesn't play a role. I mean, we come alongside. We come alongside. We, we complement what they're doing. We might supplement even what they're doing. God has been gracious to this nation since its founding. Over and over again, America truly is blessed. It is blessed, it is blessed, it is blessed. And godly change happens when believers stand firm, when they speak up, when they do battle in the culture. I think I mentioned last week um, <clears throat> the, the battle going on with Florida. They currently have a 15-week ban before the Florida Supreme Court. Um, sometimes when those laws get challenged, uh, the different courts will either um, pause the law from going into effect or they'll allow the law to go into effect until they decide if the law is lawful. In this case, they actually allowed the 15-week ban on abortion to go into effect um, while they decide if it's a lawful law. Uh, but even with that 15-week ban, um, abortions have increased in Florida because a lot of the surrounding states have bans that are, uh, have less weeks, you know, eight weeks or six weeks or ten weeks. Uh, most people believe that the Florida Supreme Court will uh, uphold the ban, so that will stay in place. And Florida has passed uh, an additional law that will go into effect 30 days after the Supreme Court rules, if it, if it upholds the ban, that a six-week ban would go into effect. And most people on both sides believe that that would almost wipe out the vast majority of abortions that occur in the state of Florida because by six weeks, um, you know, some ladies don't even know they're pregnant or are just starting to find out. Um, part of the idea, and I don't know, we, I don't think we have the map, but as you get all these different states passing these laws, um, it becomes more challenging for someone contemplating an abortion because instead of just going 30 minutes down to Planned Parenthood in, in St. Louis or across the river now, I mean, they have to travel 500, 700 miles. Um, that's the idea. Uh, uh, roughly 25 states have one or more uh, strong gestational limits on abortion that are either in effect or allowed while in litigation. Since Roe v. Wade was overturned, there's been 137 abortion clinics that have closed down. That's a lot. That's a lot. Uh, as I said last time, the battle still continues. Women are crossing to, you know, uh, state lines to get abortions still. 
Um, I think we won't know, at least for another year or two, how effective some of these laws are and how many ladies are really traveling. There's probably incentives, in my opinion, on the uh, pro-choice side to skew some of those numbers to not let the pro-lifers get too encouraged. <clears throat> the other challenge is, is, is a lot of these organizations rely on places like Planned Parenthood for some of these statistics. Just because it's hard for, for you to do the stat gathering if you don't have the money to do it. So there is more work to be done. Um, sadly, uh, a number of states have had constitutional amendments um, put on the ballot, basically where every person in that state who has the right to vote um, and is a registered voter can vote. Uh, and so most of those amendments, actually every single one of those amendments has gone for the pro-choice um, side of things. It, it appears that Missouri in November will have a similar amendment on the ballot, where each one of us will have a vote um, voting for allowing abortion back in Missouri or outlawing it. If that, and they're arguing about some of the, the language right now, because uh, if you read at least the language now, it's not, it's a, it's a, little, it's a little deceptive. Um, if that happens, we, we will need to pray, 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 and, and get, get busy to help um, defeat this amendment. Uh, in closing, Look at uh, Jude chapter 3. Right before Revelation. <clears throat> All right, Jude. It's in the first chapter, it's in the last chapter, it's in the only chapter. <laughs> Verse 3. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. I want to encourage us to stay faithful to the Word of God, stay faithful to Jesus, and to stay faithful to our Heavenly Father. Stay faithful. Listen, the liberal church shifts with the times. So it, it wilts in the face of mounting pressure. You know, culture, tell me what, what I'm supposed to believe. I'll make sure the Bible says it. Don't label me a hater. Uh, where were the theologians 30 years ago arguing for sex change surgeries on minors? Well, there weren't any, because that wasn't popular in the culture. But, now you can find theologians everywhere. Why? It'll just shift with however the culture goes. I mean, you could say the same, where were the politicians 30 years ago arguing for sex change? I mean, just 30 years ago. But not, no, now, for some of them, it's politically expedient to do so. So they do it. Where were the theologians, I mean, even just 30 years ago, arguing for same-sex marriage? They weren't there. Theologians, politicians, almost every theologian that's still a pastor or professor today that was also a pastor or professor just 30 years ago believed that marriage was between one man and one woman. 
and every politician still in office today that was also in office 30 years ago believed that marriage was between one man and one woman. I mean, this includes Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, Joe Biden, and the list would go on to include everyone. You can easily find those clips out there. What do they do? How is the culture going? And they change with the culture. That's the easy path, brothers and sisters. That's the wide path. And it doesn't lead to life. Take the narrow path. It's a hard one, but take it. Don't roll over with the culture. Life is precious from the womb to the tomb. God creates life. It's his and his alone to take away. Here's what he says in Psalm 31, verse 15. My times are in your hand. My times are in your hand. So the Lord knows how much time we got. We don't know how much time we got. The Lord knows how much time we got. We want to be faithful with whatever time the Lord gives us. We don't know how long that's going to be. I found out uh, uh, someone who taught uh, about 15 years ago at Liberty Classical School, 41 years old, uh, went to Covenant uh, with me a few years later, uh, died suddenly. 41 years old. 41 years old. But our times are in his hand. And he knows. He knows. So with whatever time that we have, like we want to walk according to his ways. Whatever time that we have, we want to make sure that we are doing battle for his glory. Whatever time we have, we want to walk in righteousness. And that is the narrow path. It's not an easy path. It's a narrow path but it's God's path. You want to be, you want to be with him? That, that's where he's going to be. You want to walk with him? That's where he did walk, and that's where he's walking. It's the narrow path, because that's the path that leads to life. So let's continue with Jesus on that walk. Walk the walk that Jesus is walking. Let's walk faithfully with him. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that every life is precious. We pray for the sin of abortion, that you would wipe this sin from our land completely, utterly, 100%. We even pray, Lord, as this amendment from Missouri looks like, it will be on the ballot. Touch people's hearts. You say that the, even the, the, the king's heart is in your hand, so touch people's hearts to vote biblically and righteously and to continue to stand with the pro-life beliefs. Be gracious, Father. Continue to put people, Lord, in strategic positions that can stand for truth, that can make a difference. Continue to have us give voice for those that can't speak for themselves. Help us to speak, Lord, to speak truth and speak life, Lord. Continue to have us train in our homes, Lord, our children for the battle, to prepare them, to be ready, and then to send them out for battle, and us as well, this cultural battle that we find ourselves in, that we would take it on, 
and speak truth and make a difference for your glory, Lord. Amen.